Speed Cafe newscast. Hello and welcome to the Speed Cafe newscast. My name is Andrew Van Leeuwen and I'm stepping into the very large shoes, both figuratively and literally, of your regular host, Mark Fogarty, this week as Fogs takes a well-earned post-season holiday. It's been another big week of news and reaction as the dust settles on a 2023 supercar season that saw new champions crowned in Brody Kostecki and Erebus Motorsport. Now, Brody was meant to be celebrating his title with a trip to the US to take part in the World Racing League finale at the Circuit of the Americas, but instead went under the knife to have his tonsils removed. Uh, it's been revealed that he was secretly battling tonsillitis throughout the season. So outgoing Erebus driver Will Brown took Brody's spot in the RCR lineup. For the Texas race, alongside Kyle Busch, Austin Dillon and Jesse Love, and Will was joined on the trip by Erebus CEO Barry Ryan. It's obviously been a massive year for Barry. It was his team that rose to the Gen 3 Challenge better than anybody else and deservingly won the team's championship. So I grabbed Barry for a chat about just what it means to have turned Erebus into a proper supercars powerhouse and a bit of insight into this latest trip to the States as well. Barry, I know you've been flat out with this trip to the States, but have you had a bit of time to sort of reflect on what you and Erebus really achieved this year in supercars and, and if you have had that time how are you sort of feeling about it that's strange we haven't really had time to reflect on it that much because you know we basically got on a plane as soon as we got home from america me b2 our chief mechanic and jimmy our fabby bit of a trip we'd planned a while back and yeah the only reflection has probably been the amount of people that have come up to us here and congratulate us which is pretty cool that the other side of the world there's people that have recognized what we've done so including all the RCR guys, so yeah, it's pretty good. At what point early in the year did you realise that there was nothing flash in the pan about your car speed, that you actually had a car and a package that was going to work on every track and you were going to be contenders? Probably, I reckon, after Perth. I think Perth was, you know, Newcastle were fairly quick, got, um, Grand Prix were fairly fast, and then Perth was like, this is a big test, because we hadn't been that strong there in the old cars. And I thought, you know, if we tick that box, you know, that's going to be a big one to pick. So once we ticked that box, it was like, we can roll these out anywhere and be pretty good. We've seen teams take the fight to Triple Eight in patches before. You know, like when Car of the Future rolled out, BJR was quick for a while. And when the FGX came along, Tickford was really quick for a while in 2015. But in almost every case, by mid-season, Triple Eight tends to be back on top. To me, it really says something that you guys still had the edge on car speed in Adelaide over those guys. Like, that's yeah. a real pace. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's interesting to be able to do that with AAA because, yeah, definitely recognise that. And we thought, you know, they're going to come back at us and come back at us and come back at us. And, you know, there was some races where they were really competitive and, you know, other races where we, we had their measure. So, yeah, it's a huge thing to have that belief that we could just keep doing it. Last year, every midfield team spoke about how Gen 3 was their chance to run down the powerhouse teams. Now, obviously, not everyone was going to be able to actually do it, but you guys were the, you're the team that did do it. You know, how did it happen? Like, what, what was the secret? Oh, it's not, not really a secret. It's obviously hard work like everybody's done, but, you know, we, we chose to build our chassis in-house, and I think that's a big, big box we ticked. Um, and I hope it doesn't lead to the team spending stupid amounts of money thinking that's the big ticket. But, um, yeah, well, I think everything we did, which I've said a few times, that everybody's tried their hardest, but we actually put every bit of effort into every single part of the car when we assembled it, more than we'd probably ever done, because it was a way out from the, from, 
scratch. Even though the designs were someone else's and the same as everyone else's, we thought to get an edge in this, you've got to actually, every single component has to be assembled or, you know, blueprinted better than everybody else. So, you know, if you bought a rod in that was a bit tight, you would make sure it wasn't tight when it went on the car. Just, just things like that. Do you think that attitude played a role in this as well? I mean, you guys weren't one of the teams that complained about the issues with Gen 3. You obviously understood what they were, but you weren't complaining about it. I never heard either of your drivers say a bad word about the Gen 3 cars, and I think probably almost every other driver in the field did. Was it a fact, you know, do you think just getting on with it made a difference as well? Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, definitely with Brody, like, he didn't even want to... I don't think there was a stage where he even mentioned the old car. He was like, this is what we've got now, so don't even mention the old car. And, and we sort of said that too, but I don't think we even needed to say it to him. It was just, why, what's, why waste energy on thinking about the old car? So we put all, all our energy into the new car. If there was issues, we just got on with it because we knew we had to. And and things like reliability issues, we obviously work with the category and all the other teams to make sure that we helped and we you know, you know, making sure the category survived through this whole process. But when it was things that were performance, it was like, just get on with it. Just deal with it. Learn how to make, um, drive around it or work around it as mechanics. And just, yeah, that's what we did. Now you would have heard, particularly at the, early in the year, you would have heard all the same theories from other garages that, that I did and we all did about why these Erebus cars were so fast, you know, disconnected roll bars and droop not being measured right and all this sort of stuff. How satisfying was it to keep being fast? Every time they brought in a little rule tweak or there was a clarification, everyone went, oh, we'll see how Erebus goes here. You guys were still there. Like, how satisfying was that? I was all, all the stuff that I guess would probably have been bandits on sometime in the, in the past about Triple Eight or DJR, but when it was free, it was them outsmarting us. So when it wasn't free, it was like, what are they talking about? Like, disconnected roll bars and stuff? And like... Now, I was the one in the background making sure that no one was disconnecting their roll bars. So it could have been any more further from the truth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always satisfying when you're competitive and, yeah, it's, um, and when you hear other people trying to assume what you're doing or whether you're cheating, well, you can just laugh it off. It's, it's actually satisfying. How did you adapt to the pressure of running a race team that's contending for wins week in and week out and titles? You know, I know, I know there was, you know, there was tension at times with, you know, the Triple Eight, or I think there was a drivers' briefing at Tassie that got a bit spicy. Has it been for yourself a bit of a learning process of being, you know, at at the helm of a proper title contending team? Oh yeah, there's definitely pressure, but I just tried not to change. I was just trying to do what I always do, and that's if I've got an opinion, I'll say it. But you know what? In the last probably since Tail and Ben and the Will thing happened, there was there was a big shift in in attitude with, um, I guess, outside world and why is he leaving and all that stuff. And I just sort of made a pact with myself that don't get caught up in it, don't open your mouth when you shouldn't, and just get on with it. And I probably let a lot of things go that I wouldn't have twelve months ago. Because it was just wasn't worth getting into the debate that people wanted, and Triple Eight, I guess, half of their reason was to try and unsettle us, and um, it didn't unsettle us, luckily, and it could have easily, and I could have probably contributed to it if if it was the barrier of 
you know, two years ago. So as much as I say I haven't changed, I have. But, but I know exactly what I changed. So it's not like it's a fake change. It's it's what I needed to do to make sure we kept our team on track. Speaking of Will, has the, the sting of that decision that he made subsided a little bit? You've obviously been on this trip with him to the US and stuff. Has sort of time healed the wound a little bit? Because obviously, like you say, it was a it was a raw thing when we got to tail and bend. Oh, it is. Yeah, look, I've, I've just come to peace with it. It's like, it's what he wants to do. You know, he's going to be a Red Bull driver. And if that's his dream as a little kid, well, great. Well, he can fulfill that dream. But we're just going to move on. And, you know, we've got an awesome driver in Jack and... You know, Brody's already, you know, embraced the change. He wasn't happy about it to start with, like, so hiding behind that. And I don't blame him because they were an awesome team, you know, combination. They worked so well together. So, yeah, it was a big loss for Brody, but I think the same. He's moved on too, and he's like, yeah, I can I can do this with another driver. I just, he doesn't need Will to do it. So he's, um, he's probably pushed himself harder than ever. Not that you probably could, but since Will's decision, he's probably put his head down and gone, I'm going to prove to Will that he needs to stay here. So, you know, that's just me saying that, but that's what I've seen in Brody's eyes, that he's just like, I'm going to prove to this guy that he doesn't need to go anywhere else, he could have stayed here. Brody's obviously just a phenomenal talent, like one of the best we've seen come through the category in a very long time. Betty's mentioned a couple of times since the title that she wasn't that keen on on signing him up. I mean, good job you got that one across the line. Yeah, I yeah, I don't. Yeah, Betty says that, but she she knows. You know, Anton was the same. Like she wasn't sure about Anton, but you know, it's just you just got to know that there's some there's so, such ter- serious talent out there in these young guys. There was a young guy this weekend. Um, um, that I come across that Richard Childress is really big on, and he's only 18, and, man, he did an awesome job this weekend. Sorry, I sounded like American then, saying man, but <laughs> he, he did an awesome job. Jesse, Jesse Love is yeah. his name. Yeah. And he's a huge talent and just a great kid. So, you know, there's, there's so much talent out there in Australia too, you know, between your Joe Stewart's, your um, Cam McLeod's, um, Cooper Murray, uh, Kai Allen, all, all these kids can make it. They're just going to get given the opportunity and they'll do what, you know, what Ryan Wood's probably about to do and what Matt Payne, like, how good's he? Like, it's just going to give them the opportunity and so many decisions have got to be made based on commercial these days that a lot of teams just can't make that decision. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's very hard to have the backing and have the balls, I guess, to be able to do it. Because commercially, it's got to come first. You've got to be able to pay the bills and keep um, the wages coming in. So I'm probably pretty lucky that Betty's in a position where she can she can take the risk financially and it's allowed us to do it. So, you know, huge credit to Betty for back, being able to say, yes, I'll do that and put her team's reputation on the line and financial stability on the line to do it. Let's, um, that's a very important point as well, and it's great that you know, I think Erebus does just play that role fantastically of bringing young talent up because uh, the sport does need it, and you're 100% right. There's some great kids you know, on the fringe at the moment. It's actually quite an exciting time in terms of young talent. But let's have a chat about the, uh, the trip to the US. How's it all gone over there? It's a bit of a weird thing. I can't really get my head around what this World Racing League thing actually is. What's it, what's it been like? Guys, it's, it's overall just a, it's an amateur series, but um, you know, you've got 
it's all about track time. So there was three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday was, you know, you basically got eight or four hours worth of track time. I think there was two different sessions, so four hours each. Um, and then two eight-hour races on Saturday and Sunday. So, um, yeah, it was, it was more, again, for Kyle and Austin to get more um, road racing skills. Um, wanted Brody there to obviously keep that momentum going. Will come, which was great. Will did a fantastic job. They had two cars. The second car was their Xfinity drivers plus this young Jesse um, Love um, kid. And so the Xfinity guys did a great job as well. And and next time they come to Coda, they've done sixteen hours worth of racing combined. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be better in their Cup cars or their Xfinity cars because they're just going to go out the gate. They know exactly where the track goes, every bump, every curb. So I think you know the importance in NASCAR and Xfinity to to win a race and get through to the chase is um is the whole goal. So you know if we can support RCR doing that and Richard. Um, yeah, it's great. Great for us, great for them. This tie with RCR does seem to be getting stronger and stronger. And there was some talk mid-year that, you know, you'd actually like to see an Erebus car, you know, run in NASCAR at some point. Is that still something that's on the horizon? Uh, They've probably come out of the whole... I'd love to, um, you know, when you think about retaining drivers, like if you want to retain Brody for a couple more years, if he wants to stay in Australia, you want to keep him at Erebus. So... If he's got that link that where he knows he's going to have some opportunities in Cup, and if we can, if he ends up as a NASCAR Cup driver in two years or one year, we'll be proud as punch. So you know, we'll be happy to see him go. We won't be happy to see him go to another supercar team. Yeah. So you know, if that if that's the whole journey that this creates, and you know, it attracts the next driver to Erebus after Brody because he's got and done Cup. That we've still got their relationship with RCR that we get the next best driver that's, that's in supercar because they see this little carrot that we might be able to create is awesome. And I might even come over here one day and, and yeah, I might spend a five-year five period here doing NASCAR. I'd love to do that as well. And we thank Barry for his time there. Let's move on to some of the other news kicking about in motorsport this week. The Newcastle 500 appears to be dead and buried with the council voting in favour of roadworks that will effectively make it impossible to reinstate the circuit. There is, however, some movement in Cessnock with talks having started with the government and plans for a track having been submitted to Supercars, preliminary plans at least. I grabbed our Supercars editor and former Newcastle resident, Dan Herrero, to chat about what it all means. Dan Herrero, you're a Newcastle native of some sort or from somewhere around the region. Anyway, you seem to know a lot about the place. Uh, what's going on with these roadworks? What does this council decision mean for the Newcastle 500? Like, this is the end of the road, right? Basically, yeah. For the, um, you know, It can always be reversed at some future date, but no, for the... This sounds like it is the end of the Newcastle 500. Council has voted to proceed with some roadworks... And putting back in some roundabouts and some pedestrian crossings, which will render the track, well, it won't be a race track. And then, of course, that short permanent section will be pulled up as well. That'll be ripped up because that was one of the conditions of the uh, heritage approval, because it's such an old part of the city, um, that once racing is finished there, they will remove that part of the racetrack. So that's going to happen as well. So, yeah, Newcastle 500 is, it, you know... <laughs> It may be revived in years to come, but no, don't count on it ever coming back. 
It just feels like such a short-sighted decision. I mean, I know Ryan Walkinshaw made some comments on social media along those lines, you know. I mean, I understand there's some resonant pushback, but it really was a great event. It was, and, and I think um, aside from any sort of direct benefit, it did put Newcastle on the map. Um, you know, and everyone thinks New South Wales, they just think Sydney, 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 and there were all these people that got to see, maybe they didn't go to Newcastle for the event, but they got to see, you know, Newcastle on TV, and it's actually this quite attractive place. It's not just a, you know, a joint where they used to have the steelworks and a permanent haze over the city. It's actually quite a nice place, and we got to see, you know, where the track was. It snaked down the hill, and it ran between a, a couple of beaches in the ocean, and we saw the tugboats doing their donuts. It's actually quite a, a dynamic place these days, and yeah, there, there won't be that advertisement anymore. It was, the, the ironic thing is that in some ways, it was the best place to put a racetrack because it, you know, on a peninsula, it's largely out of the way of everything, but it was also simultaneously the worst place just because the demographic of the residents that live there are probably the antithesis of your typical supercars fan. So that's a, an irony and sadly basically what spiked it. It is a great shame. What do you know about Cessnock? I've got to say, I don't know a lot about Cessnock, so you've got to take the reins on this one. Okay, Cessnock. So, I mean, we talk Newcastle, we can talk... Newcastle Council, we can talk the broader Newcastle region. It's like, you know, it's like any city, it's made up of various councils. So it's, uh, it's the LGA just on the other side of the freeway that runs between Sydney and Newcastle. Um, big coal mining area historically. There's still obviously mining further up the valley, but um, they really like to push tourism and, and vineyards these days. And there's also... Um, I think even around Cessnock or a bit further up the valley, some horse stud farms as well. But yes, Cessnock is kind of what we call the outskirts of the Newcastle area. Um, and yeah, they, they've thrown their hat in the ring for a supercars event. And it originally it looked like just one of those, to be frank, one of those cheap media grabs when the Newcastle 500 got cancelled for next year but no it, it's starting to sound like it's got some legs they're actually serious about trying to make this happen would it be a good place to have a race i mean the name the wine country 500 that's got my seal of approval already i'm in yeah well i'm still i'll be interested to see what these plans are for race tracks i mean it's it's going to have to be a street circuit they don't have any other option out there no one's going to build a permanent circuit in 12 months and the airport idea be pretty difficult to come off. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, th I think it's it's got a lot going for it. I think the the Cessnock demographic is more uh, is more partial to supercars. Obviously, the the Newcastle residents that liked supercars are closer to Cessnock than uh, than where the racetrack was in Newcastle. Um, and obviously they can still, it's basically the same catchment area in terms of fans and, and for the most part accommodation. So it, uh, it does tick quite a lot of boxes. There's obviously still um, a lot to go there, but they're, they're making the right noises and, and the right moves. So it's an interesting one. I, I think the, uh, the important thing though is that council said that they have reached out to the state government to an arm of Destination New South Wales, which was putting up the funding for the Newcastle 500 and they were in talks with supercars about uh, a longer term deal for 2025 and beyond once 2024 got spiked. So 
if the state government is willing to put up the money, and it, it seems like they were with Newcastle, so if they can find a circuit, it, it sounds like it has a, a pretty good chance of happening. Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. www.racefuels.com.au all your fuel at the racetrack. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. In more international news, Aussie Matt Campbell will shift from the IMSA Series to the World Endurance Championship next season as part of his role with Porsche. He had a chat with Mark Fogarty recently about what that means for him. Yeah, a few changes on the horizon for, for next year. Um, so I was just in uh, Florida testing before the, the Adelaide 500 and... Uh, there's a, had a few meetings and be, basically be a couple of program changes for, for next year. So uh, I'll be moving from the IMSA Championship across to the WEC Championship. Uh, still obviously in the factory team, just a, a change of championships. So so still um, you know more more or less much the same. Obviously WEC is a very no very well known championship to myself, having competed in it for four or five years. So it'll be an easy transition. Uh, for sure, I'll, I'll really miss him, sir, uh, doing the full campaign as it's such a fantastic championship. But luckily enough, I'll still do the endurance racing in uh, IMSA, the, the three big endurances, so Daytona 24, Sebring 12, and also the 10 hour at Petit Le Mans. Um, so I'll still have the, the foot and door over there, which is fantastic. Uh, so a big, big program next year. Obviously, a lot of testing globally as well. Um, so yeah, a bit, bit of a change for myself, but uh, looking forward to the challenge. Well, I mean, gives you the opportunity to, you know, for outright victory at Le Mans, which is, well, it's got to be the top of your list, hasn't it? Yeah, correct. I mean, uh, you know, I still want to get a few races in, in US for sure, but uh, Le Mans, there's such a big focus, especially for 2024 from, from both the Porsche side, but also Penske side, an extremely uh, big focus on, on that event purely, um, and to be a part of it now uh, for the first time in, in the top class will be really, really cool. Um, and obviously, you know, next year is also a big change in WEC 2 with the, the removal of LMP2. A lot more cars in the top class and then the inception of the, the GT3 LM category. So uh, a lot of changes and I think it will be uh, one of the biggest Le Mans ever possibly. You know, I think speaking to a few people, it's already sold out. Um, so I, I'm expecting it to be uh, something special. And you can hear the full chat with Matt Campbell in this Thursday's Speed Cafe podcast. Speedcafe.com your number one source for all the latest motorsport news and features. Breaking news, live event updates, unprecedented global motorsport coverage, performance motoring news and reviews, all in the palm of your hand, anywhere, anytime. Speedcafe.com, first, fast and free. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. In other news, it's been confirmed that the Seven Network will take over the Speed Series broadcast rights next year, as revealed on the Speed Cafe newscast last month. All rounds will be live and free on Seven Plus, and select rounds will also be on Seven Mate. 
It is now official that Trans Am will return to the Adelaide 500 next year. That will be the final round of the National Series. Scott McLaughlin has locked in a Rolex 24 start with Tower Motorsports, while Aussie Josh Burden will be teamed up with former F1 star Felipe Massa. And Formula 4 is returning to Australia with Asian promoter Top Speed, locking down a five-round Aussie Series. Four of those rounds will be on our shores and a season finale at Sepang in Malaysia. Now, while the motor racing season is winding down around the world, there was still a little bit going on over the weekend. For all the latest, here is Speed Cafe's Jackie Shivey. It was a wet and wild weekend at Calder Park in Victoria for the final round of the TA2 Australia Series. Nash Morris converted pole position into a win in race one, followed by Jared Hughes and Josh Haynes. But it was Jared Hughes who dominated the rest of the weekend, taking out races two, three and four. In race two, Brad Gartner came home second after making up seven positions. But it was Dylan Thomas who was crowned 2023 champion. Wet weather also wreaked havoc in Malaysia for the Asian Le Mans season opener, the four hours of Sepang. The race was abandoned with less than 10 minutes to go before a storm hit the track with force. In the GT class, New Zealand's Brendan Leach of Lippert Motors Sport finished fifth in race one, but lucked out in race two, exiting after three hours. Triple Eight JMRs Brock Feeney, Jeffrey Ibrahim, and Lucas Stoltz came home in seventh in their number 88 Mercedes AMG GT3 EVO. The trio were penalised a number of times for making avoidable contact with other drivers, but on Sunday the team did one better, coming home in fifth. The Asian Le Mans series will return in February in Dubai. This is Jackie Shivey for Speed Cafe. Well, that's it for this week, folks. We'll be back later in the week with another episode of the Speed Cafe podcast. And remember to stay tuned to Speed Cafe for all the latest breaking news from here and abroad. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. <laughs>